Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to verse, I'm not even sure, verse 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. As we come together this time of year, we have a thought in our mind, don't we? We are thinking about the birth of of Jesus. We are hearing the songs, a mix of songs between the seasonal songs that want to tell us about jolly old St. Nicholas and the songs that remind us that God's Son came into the world. Uh, it's the one time of year we hear even readings sometimes about the birth of Jesus. And you think, what would happen if, say, one of the radio stations or TV stations were to do that in the middle of July? And how many people would be really having a conniption about that? Uh, the birth of Jesus is an important event. And it's one that we want to think about and and as many of the congregation know that when I, over the years when I've talked about the birth of Jesus, I sometimes like to pop a few bubbles of misconceptions or try to get us to think about some of the events related to it. And I want to do that with my lesson this morning. Uh, the idea of being retired has been kind of interesting because you know, I've, I've been living a, a life for so many years of, of just doing a sermon or two lessons, three lessons or more a week. And I found out about two months ago that I was going to be speaking today and I started thinking about this lesson. And I started thinking about some of the events and some of the people that were involved. Now, I want to take a moment and just quickly move through some of this. The, the stories of Jesus' birth are found in the Gospels of both Matthew and Luke. And they share some information and they each tell us some different stories, part of that. But as we put it together, we get a, a sense. So we have the angelic visit to the parents, and that includes the uh, first the appearance to John the Baptist's parents, and then to Mary, and then to Joseph. Uh, we have the trip as Mary is about to give birth uh, to uh, Bethlehem because of the census, the taxes. 
that are being uh, levied. And so they, they go down to Bethlehem. You know, they live up in Galilee, and they've made the trip down to uh, Judea to Bethlehem, as the angel had just told Mary in our reading. Uh, unable to find a place, remember, no room for them in the inn. And they end up in a stable. Uh, Jesus is born, and they lay him in a manger. That's a feeding trough. Uh, one of the things I think we always need to understand about this, have you ever been in a stable? It's not exactly the most sterile. You know, I'm sure the nurses and doctors among us are kind of shuddering at the thought of that kind of environment for a newborn baby. And you know how wonderful the stable smells. It's just not really where you think the Son of God would be born. We have the story of the shepherds who are out in the field watching their flocks by night. The angels appearing to them, announcing the birth, singing uh, that song, First Noel. Uh, is, that's what that is actually about. Noel is actually a song. And so it says the first Noel, the angels did sing or say uh, to certain poor shepherds in fields. For that. So, uh, you know, we have the shepherds and the uh, they come in as a result of the angelic message to to see Jesus. We have sometime later the visit of the Magi. Uh, they have been following the star. Why do we know it sometime later? Because we're told that they came and entered the house. If you're not familiar with that, go back and look at the gospel account. By that time, Jesus was in a house. He wasn't in the stable. And they come in and they do homage. They worship. Uh, they, the term magi probably refers to uh, that they are Zoroastrian philosophers who have traveled from places like Persia. We don't know how many there were. There were three gifts. But, you know, as we think about all these people gathering uh, and, and seeing the baby Jesus and responding to, to different uh, parts or different announcements, whether it was angels or star and, and some familiarity that the Magi had with prophecy, uh, Old Testament prophecy, that as they come, you know, there are people that are involved in the story. And I want to just kind of summarize real quick. All right, so you got Joseph and Mary who are part of the story. You've got the people of Bethlehem. I mean, there's got to be some, like, for example, the innkeeper has got to know that he's given the stable to this young couple. And surely he knew that she had a, Mary had a baby back there. Uh, we have the shepherds. We have the Magi. We have Herod and his soldiers. I didn't mention them before, but, you know, Herod, the Magi, when they come, have gone to Herod and said, where is he who's born king of the Jews? And Herod consults the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, to find out what, what the belief is. And they go to the Old Testament and they say, well, it's supposed to be in Bethlehem. And what they don't know is when Herod says to them, you know, come back, tell me when you find him. Because I want to go worship him, and he's lying. Because what he wants to do is he wants to kill him. Herod is king. He doesn't want another king. But 
But the question I want you to think about here is, out of all those people that were part of the story of Jesus' birth, how many were still with Jesus at the end? I mean, think about it. The shepherds have had this angelic proclamation. They've heard the angels singing. The angels have told them about the birth of Jesus. And they go in and they find it exactly. The Magi, same thing. But you know, when we get to the end of the story, there are no shepherds mentioned. There were no shepherds among the apostles. No one from Bethlehem is mentioned as part of the account of Jesus' ministry. Nor were there magi. That all these people who witnessed this wonderful, miraculous event around the birth of Jesus, and the only person Is Mary. Despite their interest, curiosity, even worship, all of these people seem to drop off. And Mary is the only one. So, why? Okay. They're witnesses to an awesome event, but they didn't follow Jesus. Isn't that interesting? All right. Kind of ask yourself, all right, you, you're out in the field. I, you know, right now you might be thinking, okay, if Jesus was born in December, we don't know that this is the month he was born, actually. But just kind of think, okay, you live in Winnipeg. Oh, and you have these angels appear to you and tell you about some miraculous event. And you go see the event has happened. And then you turn around and walk away. And it never touches your life again. Or you travel all the way across from, from Persia to Palestine. Because you're following a star and you see the baby. You, you're looking for the one that's been born king of the Jews. Why? Well, I think we can maybe understand why Mary is going to follow through. Because the, angels, the angel Gabriel visits her, tells her what's about to happen. And things happen exactly. She becomes a mother. She has that child exactly as it's been told to her. She calls him Jesus. And through the story of Jesus' life and ministry, and we'll touch on this a little bit more in a minute, that we see Mary is continuing to be somewhere around Jesus. One of the most interesting statements to me happens when Joseph and Mary and apparently a lot of relatives travel down to the temple. Jesus is 12, remember? He gets left behind and he's talking with the religious leaders. He's talking with the rabbis and they're talking and they're marveling at this young man. And when Mary and Joseph finally find her, because they've had to turn around and go back, 
And Mary finds him. It says that she stored up these things in her heart. You know, you think about what must have been in Mary's heart after Jesus' birth and all of those events. And then with his growing up and now his at 12, and then when he begins his ministry at 30. The angel promised her, as we heard in our reading, some very important things. And I think this is what likely began to reach an understanding in her heart. The angel promised that you'll, you'll have a son, which is the first obstacle for her to get around because she's unmarried. She's a virgin. And tells him you're to give him the name of Jesus. As has already been mentioned, you know, that literally, that's, that's the Old Testament name, Joshua, Yeshua. And it's the name of God, God saves. Or, in a kind of a paraphrase, the Lord is salvation. But would she have understood when she named him Jesus what that meant? Well, there were other things the angel said. He would be called great. Parents, don't you like that idea? Would you like to have an angel come to you when you're about to give her, you know, with all of the three babies that have just been born? Wouldn't that be wonderful to have an angel come and tell you, your, your kid's going to be great? Guys, how many start thinking about hockey players? He will be called Son of the Most High. And then later, Gabriel will say, he will be called Son of God. That will be a major challenge for her understanding, wouldn't it? That's something that's very, very different. That's not a normal type of term. But, okay, you think about it. Okay, he's, his name is, you know, the Lord saves. Yah saves. Yahweh. He will be great. He'll be son of the Most High God. And he'll sit on the throne of David. And his kingdom will never end. You know, that is a number of ideas for one young woman to try to process about the baby that she's about to have. That's a lot to put in her heart. And I think that for, you know, much of his life, you know, from the, from the time in the temple at 12, that may have stirred some of those memories from her heart, but until he begins his ministry at 30, that's just a lot to kind of ponder and think about. Well, what was that all about? Why? Who is this child? So, we find that when Jesus begins his ministry, his first miracle is recorded in John. Uh, Sean talked about that this last Wednesday night in the class that he's doing on, on John. The turning of the water to wine at the wedding feast at Cana. She was there. In fact, she went to Jesus and said, and we were kind of laughing about 
Now, this is like a typical mother. Son, do something. Later, the way the Gospels recorded is that Jesus was so busy with people that he didn't have time to eat or to sleep. You know, normally that's an indication of somebody who's really distressed or disturbed or has just, you know, overwhelmed. Somebody that needs help. And it seems that Mary and some of the family, his brothers, have come down to intervene with Jesus and try to look after him. And so when Jesus is told, your mother and brothers are outside, and Jesus points to the crowd and says, these are my mothers and my brothers. It's a wonderful affirmation of the importance of his disciples to him. And if you are a disciple, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, as Jesus understands that term, you're part of his family. You're a child of God. Not in the generic sense that all of us were created by God. But in that personal affirmation. And so we see Mary kind of appearing in and out of Jesus' ministry. But imagine we find that she's near the foot of the cross when he's put to death. As a parent, I cannot imagine a more heart-wrenching moment for her than watching her son executed. Knowing that crucifixion was and probably still is one of the most cruel, horrific forms of execution and death that humanity's ever devised. It was such that a Roman citizen could not be crucified. Imagine how full her heart was then. As I've been working on this lesson, I've been thinking about what thoughts might have been going through her head at the time. Was she able to draw from her heart those concepts that Gabriel told her before he was born? Or is it possible that she was thinking, if I'd known it was going to end like this, I wouldn't have wanted this. You want to watch your your children die? You want to see, you know, how do you feel, parents, when you, you see your children rejected by their peers? It's just absolutely, you know, I, I know parents will say that when their child is in pain, they're in more pain, right? That's just the way we feel about our kids. But what's interesting is that she's with the disciples after the resurrection and according to Luke's account in Acts, when he mentions the, the early group of Christians, of disciples that are gathered there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1, it mentions Mary and Jesus' brothers. She's been there, and that, that heart of hers has, as a mother would, 
followed her son. And I want to just put it this way. I struggled with this word. But she was invested in Jesus. Like, like mothers, you know, I, I don't want to minimize the role of fathers, but you know mothers have a bigger investment in a child, right? She not only gave birth after carrying him for nine months in her womb, but she was with him through his life. She saw many of the events and she witnessed his death. But her heart stayed with him. So kind of the question becomes for us, you know, like where where are our hearts? You know, around Jesus' birth, there were people who were curious, worshipping, threatened. You know, Herod, his soldiers, the Magi, the shepherds. But no one's heart, out of all those people, was moved to truly believe and to follow Jesus, except Mary. And she had to have struggled. Don't you think she wrestled? with this role that, that Jesus had, but she stored up these things. And the most interesting thing to me is that when Gabriel spoke to her to tell her she was going to give birth to Jesus and all of the complications that would be part of that, the social stigma of being unmarried and being pregnant... She says, may it be to me as you have said. She's made a commitment. That's what I mean when I said she's she's invested. She's put her whole heart and her whole life into her son. So I want to ask the question as we close, you know, where are our hearts? Are we among those who are threatened or offended by Jesus? Who don't like the idea of him? Are we among those who are curious or or interested, but uninvested, like the shepherds and the magi? Are we like those who came to the birth and left? Are we among those who celebrate the birth of Jesus once a year and rarely mention or worship or follow him the rest of the year? Or are we ready to follow Jesus completely from the heart? I asked Chad to lead a particular song at the end of our lesson because I thought, I actually started with the song. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way. From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. That is not just words of a song that we sing. That is a confession of our faith, an acknowledgement of our trust in Jesus, that we, as his people, are invested in him as the Son of God, as the Messiah, the Christ, who came 
to give his life on that cross for our sins. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to really think about that and what your relationship with Jesus is. And you can talk with me, with Chad, with Sean, one of the elders afterward. Let's stand as we sing. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises.